It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Rick is finishing up his study on what is the church, and today is part five in the sermon he's entitled, The Power of Wom." W-O-M-M. Let's join Rick as he explains this. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Today Rick is looking through verses 16 to 20. Here's Rick. When it comes to choosing a new restaurant to go to, maybe picking a dentist, uh, or maybe even um, deciding what new smartphone you want to buy, what has the biggest influence on your choice? Maybe you're part of the new generation that will go online to one of the multitude of review sites that are out there, like uh, Yelp or, or Google or Urban Spoon, and you may use one of those. Yet typically, for any of us, what has the largest or the most powerful influence in our choices when it comes to what we're going to buy? Barna, Barna. It's what a close friend has to say to you based on their experience. That's called WOM, word of mouth marketing. And it doesn't matter whether you need a service, whether you want a product of, of, of anything nature, a refrigerator car or, or whatever. Word of mouth recommendations made by friends, coworkers, neighbors, someone you know and trust, that is the most powerful. In fact, research has shown that 92% of Americans will follow the endorsements of friends and family over all other forms of advertising. Why? Because traditional advertising, such as TV spots you see, uh, printed ads, even ads that pop up on the screen from social media, those things can build brand awareness. In other words, you know that that product or service is out there, but they increasingly do not persuade target audiences. And this is especially true among the age group of of 18 to 29-year-olds, that demographic we call the millennials. The millennials are notoriously suspicious of advertising, and they're very aware of the proliferation of what's called fake fake reviews, which can be both positive or negative, but they're suspicious. Now, in many ways, word-of-mouth marketing is not a new trend. I mean, it's, it's really not a new or surprising trend. We've always been people that have given real credence to someone who's been there and done it. So if we know that person, if we trust that person, then their experience carries significant weight with us when it comes for us making our choices. Now, why is all this important? It's important because do you realize that Christianity is only one generation from becoming extinct? In other words, the purposes of God in this generation are dependent upon the followers of Jesus Christ tapping into WOM. Now, don't misunderstand me. Um, We're not selling anything. But we are definitely attempting 
every single one of us to be persuasive. We want to influence the choices that others do make. And this comes into play as we consider what is the answer to the question, what is the church? Because Jesus Christ has given us a mission. Every single one of us, he's given the same mission. His followers are to make disciples of all nations. And historically, the church has called that the Great Commission. In other words, every single follower of Jesus Christ in every single generation has been given that mission. It's a great commission because it's supposed to trump all other endeavors. It is to be the priority of all church resource expenditures. It is to captivate our thinking. It is to motivate our dreams. And yet, how often in our thinking about and our engagement in the Great Commission, things get skewed so quickly. We're tempted, aren't we, to see its fulfillment as something that is for the religious professional? for the really spiritual mature, or it's a program of the church, and therefore we can kind of back away from it. Typically, we don't see how we are to be involved in it. And we hear the challenge from the scriptures here in Mark chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations, and what's going on inside of our heads? Most of us are going, yeah, right. Me? So if you're not already there in Matthew chapter 28, turn there. Let's open our Bibles to the last verses, verse 16 to verse 20 of Matthew chapter 28. And I want us to examine, one, the context and the content of the mission that we've been given as Christ followers. Because of what I believe as we do this this morning, we're going to discover something that has the potential to unleash inside of us the ability to do what Jesus is asking us to do. Follow along. Let me read these verses. Verse 16 to 20. Follow along. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, did you notice that before we ever got to the well-known words of Jesus in verse 19 about making disciples, that the context there reveals that in making disciples, there are two absolutes we need to ponder. In other words, we need to think about these things constantly. What's the context? Well, remember, this event happened after Jesus was crucified on the cross. This, This is after his resurrection. The disciples... They have already seen and interacted with Jesus on multiple occasions back in Jerusalem, but now they've traveled north 75 miles from Jerusalem back to the area of the Sea of Galilee, back to where they had spent most of the three years that they had with Jesus. And Jesus, we're told, meets them on a mountainside 
And verse 17, what was their reaction to seeing him again? Look at verse 17. Amazing. Some of the disciples worshipped him. That's one response. The word worship describes a person who literally falls on their face before an authority out of a gesture of being reverence and dependence and submission. We understand that response. I mean, this is the risen Christ. Who wouldn't respond like that? But that's not the only other, that's not the only reaction. Look at verse 17. The other reaction, some doubted. Whoa, whoa, you've got to be kidding, really? Doubt describes a person who is wavering, who is hesitant, who is uncertain about the course of action they should choose. So after all the 11 disciples have seen and heard and experienced, even just in that first Easter weekend, some of them are still struggling to put it together and to believe. And right there we see the first absolute to ponder. When it comes to making disciples, God only uses imperfect people. The Great Commission is given to a mixed bag of ragtag followers who are still in the process of being transformed as they were following Jesus. They're not perfect. God only uses imperfect people in every generation because that's all he's ever had to work with in every generation. He knows we are broken. He knows we're often uncertain. He knows we're inconsistent so that one day we fall down and worship and the next day we fail, we fail him as we waver in indecision. And folks, that is wonderfully good news. It is good news that our Lord is pleased to use us even though we're still in the process of being transformed to become more like Jesus Christ. So to be involved in making disciples, we do not have to be perfect. We don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to be perfectly victorious over every sin. The question is, when he asks, are you available for me to use, our answer should be, yes, Lord, here I am. So the first absolute to ponder, God only uses imperfect people. Now the context gives us a second absolute to ponder. Look at verse 16. When it comes to making disciples, who was Jesus talking to, by the way? Verse 16 makes it quite clear that his audience at that time was only the 11 disciples. These are the men who had lived 24-7 with him for the last three years. He has poured his life into them, and they, they, they followed him on this transforming faith journey. So, look at the context here, so that when Jesus in verse 19 tells these 11 guys, go and make disciples, what he is in essence saying to them is, Take what you have experienced with me over the last three years and invite others to experience the very same thing. As you have followed me, Jesus is saying to them, extend the invitation for others to follow also. And there's the second absolute. Only disciples can make disciples. 
Only those who have accepted the incredible invitation from Jesus to follow Him on a lifelong, transforming faith journey can then make disciples. And this is where Wong kicks in so powerfully. The power of our influence to persuade others to follow Jesus comes because we have a lifestyle, imperfect as it may be, of we're trying to follow Jesus also. We speak up about having been there and done that in our successes as well as our failures. But we realize we can't take people where we've never been ourselves. So the best disciple makers are those who are already following Jesus. By the way, Paul expresses this really well in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1, when he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Huh. So, with the context giving us those two absolutes to ponder, God only uses imperfect people, and only disciples can make disciples. Let's turn our attention now to the content. We've looked at the context. Now let's turn to the content of the Great Commission. For Jesus' own words tell us that in making disciples, there are two essentials to practice. Just two. Not very complicated. There's just two essentials to practice. Look at verse 18 and the start of verse 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You probably noticed that verse 19 starts with the word, therefore. And that's very important because what Jesus asks of us in verse 19 is a result or a consequence of what he said is true from verse 18. So here's the first essential to practice. What we do as disciple makers is based on what's already been done. What do I mean by that? Well, what's been done? Look at verse 18. Verse 18 tells us what is different now. Part of what God has accomplished at the resurrection, just one part of it, is the exaltation of His Son. Notice, all authority has been given to Jesus. There is now nothing higher in authority than Jesus. Nothing or no one is more powerful in all heaven and on earth. First Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 21, expresses it like this. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Something's different since the resurrection. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul describes it this way, God raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, and He put all things under His feet. Our Christ has been exalted over all. Therefore, verse 19, that means my response to Jesus asking me to be involved in making disciples is based on the authority that he has been given. In other words, I invite others to join me in this process of following Jesus 
Not because I think it's such a great idea, but because Jesus thinks it's a great idea. Do you see the difference? So recognizing that what I do in making disciples is based upon what's already been done, Christ has been exalted, folks, that's going to carry me, it's going to carry you through those days when following Jesus just does not seem to be working. It's going to carry us through those times when I don't think I'm changing. It's going to carry me through those times when it's hard to trust His heart. I don't do it because I think it's a good idea. I think it's, it, I do it because it's, it's His good idea. All authority, verse 18, has been given to our Savior Jesus. And folks, isn't that why we so often proclaim there is a king on the throne? We rejoice in that reality, don't we? Why do we rejoice in it? Because it assures us that there's someone in control. We rejoice in it because it assures us that life is or does make sense, even if we can't figure it out. It assures us that it's all headed towards a wonderful conclusion, even though right now we're really scared about where it's really all headed. But think about it. To acknowledge that there is a king on the throne also makes us struggle. Boy, does it bring confidence? Yes, but it also makes us struggle because that means he wants control over my life. Okay, that's too convicting. Let's move on. Let's look at the second essential to practice in making disciples. What's the first? We do making disciples based on what's already been done. It's not my good idea. It's his good idea. What's the second? What's the second essential to practice? What we do encourages what's been done. Look at verse 19. We are to be involved in making disciples. That is not describing a production process like a, like a robot on an assembly line. No. We've already seen that following Jesus is about entering into a relationship with our Heavenly Father who is working in us to make us more like Jesus Christ. So if it's not a production process, then what is it? Hold your finger here in Matthew 28. We'll be back. But turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 3. Here's, here's where the process is described. Or if it's not a process, what is it? Well, here's what it is. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 6. Look at verse 7. Paul writes and says, in, in describing his making disciples, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So again, notice, we don't produce anything, even in disciple making. That's God's business. But what did Paul and, and Apollos do? They did cooperate. They planted the seed. They watered the seed. Their role was to encourage what's been done by God. What's been done that we are to encourage kind of like a gardener? Well, it's time to remember some very powerful scriptures. I keep reminding you of them. I think I'm going to continue until people get angry with me. Um, but remember 2 Corinthians 5:17. What's been done? Well, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What has God done inside of believers? He has put this brand new life inside of us. Or how about 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18? And we all, talking about believers, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. There's our role in the mission of making disciples, is to encourage what God has already done. In other words, we are to help bring out of each person that new creation that God has already put in there. So that more and more, as 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, one degree or one step at a time, they are developing to look and to act and to think more like Jesus. We just encourage it to come up and out of them. It's there. It just needs to come out more and more. Boy, does that take the pressure off? Instead of making disciples, and we, and we think of it as, as trying to change someone or trying to fix someone else, suddenly we realize all I'm doing is being an encouragement for them to mature, to be what they already are, to, to grow and to, to be what they already are, to, to help build into them that which they're already in to a degree. Okay, well, how do you specifically encourage it? Well, Paul gives us this. I mean, Jesus tells us back to Matthew chapter 28 now. His specific words now go on to tell us how we encourage that which has already been done. First, we are to baptize them. Baptize them. Well, I've never been in the tank over here, the, what do we call that, the baptuzi, bakuzi. Yeah, no, I've never been in there. So I guess I've never been involved in the Great Commission. Oh, no, 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 no. What is baptism? Turn over to Romans 6 for a moment. Let's, let's, let's make sure we all are on the same page with this. What is, what is baptism? Romans 6, verse 3, verse 4. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, so the physical act of baptism reflects simply what has already happened at that moment when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior. What happened when we trusted Christ as our Savior? Well, we've looked at those verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Our complete identity has been changed. We're no longer the person we once were. The old is gone. The new has come. Our new life has come. So as Paul says here in Romans 6, I get now to walk in newness of life. So the act of baptism is all about embracing our new identity in Jesus Christ. That's why in the New Testament, the time frame between a person trusting Christ and when they're baptized was very short. It wasn't months and months and years later. The New Testament church practiced baptism as soon as possible after a person trusted Christ. Why? Because it was a visible outward expression of what had already happened in the heart, helping them to embrace their new identity in Jesus Christ. So when we invite people to be baptized, it's the beginning of a lifelong journey of living a Christ-focused identity. 
That's part of making disciples. We're encouraging that person to live a Christ-focused identity. Boy, I tell you, every one of us, myself included, needs people around us, brothers and sisters around us who will support and encourage and challenge us to live out our new identity in Christ. We need other followers around us who are themselves in the battle of wanting to live a Christ-focused identity. So we can link arms together to see our new creation coming to maturity, coming to fruition, coming to completion. We need others around us who understand the battle of resisting Satan, resisting the flesh, resisting the world. See, making disciples is more about fighting for each other's heart. As we stand with each other, we stand with each other and we stand for each other in the journey of following Jesus. So baptizing, back to Matthew 28, is part of making disciples as we encourage each other to live a Christ-focused identity. But there's a second, a second aspect to making disciples in what we're to encourage. Look back at the text, verse 20. We are to teach them to observe all that I have commanded them. So what are we encouraging there? That others live to give a Christ-focused response. Again, remember who who he's talking to. These are the, the men who for three years... As Jesus' disciples had received specific teaching as they listened to him, as they watched his life. And the life of and teaching of Jesus has now been written down for us. It's been written down so we can review, so we we can study it, that we too might live to give him an obedient response from our hearts. But herein lies the danger. The danger is that in our teaching of others to observe what Jesus commanded, how easy is it for them to obey the teaching to observe what we command? Yeah, there is a place. There's a very definite place in following Jesus for discipline and self-control. But being saved by Jesus does not make me sufficiently capable to obey. I still need the work of the Holy Spirit every single day of my life to empower me to obey Him from the heart as a response because of how much I have been loved. Then I just want to love my Heavenly Father back. But often, being a disciple is defined by observing legalistic requirements that Jesus never asked. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Because you were raised in an environment, on a background, where following Jesus was more defined by a list of no's, of certain things you don't do. And that then defined you as a disciple. And the list, those lists are as varied as churches that enforce or try to enforce that kind of thing. For example, in some places a disciple doesn't wear certain kinds of clothes. They don't go to movies. They restrict their input of certain drinks. They use a certain Bible translation. They only read acceptable authors. They don't smoke, they don't chew, and they don't go with girls that do. But it's all about no. 
don't. Stop it. And what this does is reduce making disciples to enforcing a religious-looking behavior modification instead of encouraging the divine work that's already going on in another person's heart, that, that heart transformation that Jesus wants to do within us so that it's more about who we are positively instead of what we don't do. So where does that bring us? Well, back up for a moment. Look at this again. When it comes to personally being engaged in the Great Commission, there are two absolutes I I constantly need to ponder. There are two essentials that that I need to practice. Disciple makers are imperfect followers of Jesus who who simply have themselves accepted the incredible invitation to, to follow and they in turn then turn around and extend that invitation to other people. And disciple makers do what they do because of what's been done. Jesus has been exalted and given all authority and it's his therefore go that we're responding to. And so we do what we do to encourage what's already been done in others, like gardeners seeking to promote the growth of that new creation that God has put in there for them. And by the grace of God, it all begins with Wom. For as his followers, if we've been there and done it, We can then persuade others to come along too. And that's why RBC has as its mission statement, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. What a powerful thing to pray that God would use each of us and the power of WOM to engage us in the Great Commission. Let's pray. Father, you have sovereignly and graciously given each one of us a sphere of influence. It's that that circle of people some of whom don't know you, but we have regular contact with them. They're waiters and waitresses in restaurants where, we're, where we go a lot. It's our neighbors next door to us on the street. It's the person next to us in the cubicle at work or sit next to us in the row at school. We see them in the gym all the time. Father, they are sovereignly there. And they're open to WOM. Father, for our part of it, I pray that you would help us to be developing those trusting, loving relationships that they just sense there's something different about us and will want to ask why. And Father, as Peter would say, Lord, may we be ready to give an answer to defend the hope that is within us. But Father, to have the privilege to lead them to Christ, 
to have the privilege of making disciples. I want to pray that this wonderful passage would not just be something we review because it's part of the vision of our church. Lord, would you help it to become the vision of our lives? Then it will become the vision of the church. So, Father, this morning may we realize how we now can be personally engaged in it. Not because it's a program, but because it's just the way we live. Lord, I pray that you would do that in me. Do that in my brothers and sisters here this morning, I ask. In Jesus' gracious, loving, and merciful name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.